The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And uh, that, that's what we are to do. And Lord, I just, so I just pray that as we come together now that we can uh, worship you. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for this time, that we can worship you at this time in this place, Lord. Whether we're sitting here together in this room, whether we're worshiping and watching this on Facebook Live, Lord, whatever the case may be, Lord, wherever you are, just help us to worship you right here, right now. You are the mighty God. We just pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. What is a name? What is in a name? What does your name mean? What does your name imply? What's your nickname? That tells you a lot about somebody, huh? There's a story it's told of a missionary who went to a remote tribe. We were just talking about international missions. Another missionary went to a remote tribe somewhere in the world, and I couldn't find the story, so I kind of have to remember it as best I can, so I don't remember the, the details. They went to a remote tribe, and the tribe had a unique language, and part of this missionary's job was to learn this language so they could translate the Bible into their native language and their native tongue. As time went by, as this missionary was learning the language, he, he realized that the people did not have a word for the word soul, your soul, your inner being. They did not have a word for that. And how do you ask somebody to describe soul when you don't have that word? And as a missionary, you know, they're still learning the language, you know, so they don't have all the words. How do you describe that to ask that question? And he was at a loss. He couldn't figure this one out. So he kept translating and knowing that he, his translation was incomplete because he couldn't find this word. Well, one day, one of the children, uh, you know, an older children, but got lost in the, in the jungle. And they couldn't find him. And the sun set. And the child had to spend the night out in the jungle by themselves. Thankfully, they found, found her the next day. I think it was a little girl. Found her the next day. And as she was recounting her, her um, events of what happened while she was out there, she talked about her fears, and that she was afraid. And she was so afraid that she thought she was going to lose her name. To this culture, her name was her soul. It was a, her, her eternal identity. It was more than just a word to shout when your presence is requested. It included her character, her integrity, her essence, her very life. How do others react when they hear your name? Do they rejoice? Do they curse? Do they frown or do they smile? If you give someone your word that you will do a thing, do they relax and realize it's going to get done? Or do they worry and fret even more? How, 
how many names do you have? Well, you got your first name, your middle name, your last name, right? But you have other names besides that what's on your birth certificate. You know, when I was born, I had the name grandson. That doesn't apply anymore. Unfortunately, all my grandparents have passed away. But I'm a, still a son. That's one of my names. A brother. I'm a husband, a father, a father-in-law. I'm a pastor. I'm a chaplain. In the past, I've been labeled with names like, you know, catcher, bench warmer. <laughs> <laughs> I learned how to keep score. Um, a wrestler, I was a detasseler, I was a friar, an assistant manager, a student, a trailer factory worker, a summer missionary, a systems analyst, that sounds impressive, campus minister, sales associate, lot associate. Um, so what am I? Who am I? As a kid, I got nicknames. They weren't ones I picked out. You know, big ears, <laughs> scrawny, because I was short and skinny. Weirdo, I, I was called that more than once. My parents named me Nelson. And if you look up Nelson, it's like, what does that mean? It means Neil's son. Well, that's cool. My dad's name is William. <laughs> so I, I believe I had, I had an uncle who was named Nelson. That, or, or my dad had an uncle who was named Nelson. He would have been my great uncle. But what does your name mean? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to others? What is in a name? So this morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So please turn there if you're in your pew Bibles. That's page 1001. It's kind of the way the pew Bibles are laid out. They don't put the page number on the first page of a, of, of a book. And so Hebrews is the first page of a book. And so they have a page number. And on the previous page is Philemon, which is also the first page of a book. It's a one-page book. And so the page numbers aren't on either one of those two pages. Page 1001, Hebrews chapter 1. Let's stand as we read God's word in honor of God's word. If you're able. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After, make purif after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than heirs. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for these words. These words that were written down long ago. Help us this morning as we look at these words, as we examine these words, that it will change our hearts. It will change our minds. It will change our lives. For some, I pray that it may be a lot for salvation for the first time. For others, it may just be a minor adjustment in life. But minor adjustments can be, lead to major changes. And so we thank you for your word that you have provided to us, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So often you hear it said, and you may say it yourself, I probably said it too. Well, to me, Jesus is, and we spout off our, our great wisdom and knowledge. Okay? But it's not up to you and me to decide who Jesus is. 
when we say things like, well, to me, Jesus is. Because we know there are people out there in this world that redefine Jesus to fit their needs. To some, Jesus was just a prophet. Some high and high accord as a prophet. The Muslims, if you say the name Jesus, they will say, peace be unto him, just like they say when they say the word Muhammad. They will say that about Jesus also. They hold him in high honor. But they do not see him as the son of God, and they do not see him as, they don't see his death. They don't believe he died on the cross and was resurrected. He is not their savior. The Jews see him as a prophet. Other people have got all kinds of ways they describe Jesus. But we don't get to decide who Jesus is. The Bible, God's holy word, defines who Jesus Christ the Nazarene is. All other sources are null and void, including our, the imaginations of our mind. The Old Testament predicted who the Messiah will be. It described his characteristics. The New Testament told us who he is. So as we look at these words today, we see, we're going to see who Jesus is. Who God is. And so it begins, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Well, long ago. Well, how long ago was long ago? You know, if we ask some of these kids in here how long ago it was, you know, they think 1999 was a long time ago. All right? Think about this, the year 2000. If you were born in the year 2000, you're 18 years old now. They've never lived in another century. Okay? Um, how long ago was long ago? Well, the, when was this written? Well, the book of Hebrews was written sometime before 72 A.D. And, and the reason I can say that with some authority is because as you read through Hebrews, it talks about the temple and the sacrifices that, at the temple and the jobs the priests have to do at the temple, and they never mention it in the past tense. They always mention it in the present tense, like it's still happening. And in 72 A.D. is when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem after the Jews revolted. So this was written sometime before 72 AD, which makes it, do, do the math, something, you know, 1900 plus years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. That was long ago. And the writer of this book said, long ago. So he's talking about long ago before him. Well, he's talking about the, what we now call the Old Testament. To them, it was just the Bible. It was the Tanakh. That which is all of the Old Testament as we have it today. And the newest book of the Old Testament was written roughly 400 B.C. So to, this, to the writer of Hebrews, the newest book in the Old Testament was at least 400 years old. So when he says long ago, he meant long ago, 400 years. And Abraham probably lived somewhere between 12 and 1400 B.C., so you're, you're looking at a thousand-year range. And then obviously Noah and, and Adam would have been older than that. So when he said long ago, he meant long ago. Um, and we don't, you know, I say the writer of Hebrews. I'm going to keep saying that because we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Church history has no record of who wrote the book of Hebrews. Nothing in this book says who wrote the book of Hebrews. Scholars still haven't figured it out. But if there's a name written in the New Testament, somebody is probably suggested that well, maybe this person wrote it and they, they went you know, many of the disciples paul luke even people have suggested aquila has written it or priscilla you know some of the females may have written it we don't know we really don't there's no evidence for or against any one person so i'm going to keep saying the writer of hebrews 
So this writer, he was talking about long ago, 400 years ago. That's when the last book of the Old Testament, what's 400 years ago to us? Well, let's see, that that would be the year 1618. What happened in the year 1618? Well, in England, King James I was the king. Okay, His mother was Mary, Queen of Scots, which there's a movie coming out about her you may have seen. Okay, The King James Version of the Bible was seven years old. It was the new version that people were complaining about. Okay, Because <laughs> it wasn't like the Bishop's Bible, which is what they replaced it with. It's like, this king, why do we have this new version? What's wrong with the old one? You know, The King James Version was only seven years old, and William Shakespeare had been dead for two years. So he's talking about long ago, long ago in the past of the Old Testament. What happened long ago? Well, long ago, what does it say in verse 1? God spoke. That's the subject, that's the verb of this whole sentence. This whole sentence is around God spoke. He spoke long ago. He spoke at many times and in many ways. As you read through the Old Testament, you see that. Sometimes God spoke verbally, face-to-face to p- with people. He did that with Adam and Abraham. Samuel heard his voice. He spoke face-to-face with Moses. And in Exodus chapter 20, all of Israel heard God's voice as he stated that as God gave the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. He, spoke in, he, he appeared in visions to Daniel and to Zechariah, the, the prophet in the Old Testament. He spoke through angels to Joshua and to Samson's parents and to Jacob and to Daniel. He spoke in dreams to Jacob. He spoke in dreams to Pharaoh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Joseph in the New Testament. He spoke through the prophets when the prophet said, Thus says the Lord. The prophets were speaking the words of God. He spoke through a fleece to Gideon. He spoke through a drought to King David to right an ancient wrong. He spoke to a donkey to Balaam. He spoke through miracles and signs like the partings of water, manna coming down from the sky, people who were healed, people were resurrected from the dead, an axe head floated, and many other events that happened throughout the Old Testament that God spoke through. He doesn't do the same thing the same way every time. He does the unexpected He spoke through the prophets, and who were they? Well, they must have been very spiritual people. Well, not really. He spoke to children. Samuel and Jeremiah were children when he spoke to them. He spoke to Elisha. He was a farmer. He spoke to David and Amos. They were shepherds. Nehemiah was a servant to a foreign king in a foreign land. Moses was the child of a slave. And most are unknown. We have no idea where they came from, what they did, how they died. We we have no clue. God spoke at many times and in many ways. But no matter how the message was delivered, it was God speaking. Have you read the Old Testament? Have you read how God spoke in the Old Testament? Read it. Read God's Word. Let His name envelop your heart and your mind. Read how God spoke it all those many times in many ways. But then he gets to verse 2, and it changes tones. It starts with but, but in these last days. 
last days. Didn't we just say this was written 2,000 years ago? In these last days. Well, to the author, the time after Jesus was resurrected from the dead began the last days. The writers throughout the New Testament talk about the last days since Jesus has been risen from the dead, waiting for Jesus to come back again. Yes, we've been waiting for 2,000 years. And some ridicule that. Some disbelieve it. But it's like, but that's the age that we live in. There was an age before Jesus in the Old Testament from the time of Abraham through the time until Jesus was born was a time in the Old Testament was an age. And really from the time of Noah to the time Jesus was born was roughly 2,000 years. Give or take a couple hundred, but roughly 2,000 years. There was an age before that, before the flood, before Noah built the ark. From the time of creation and Adam until the flood where Noah was saved. And that time was roughly 2,000 years. That was a different age, a different time. We know in Revelation it's going to talk about a different age and a different time in the future. Now what's exactly going to look like? When exactly is that going to happen? That's a good question. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but we're at this, we are in the last days. The writer of Hebrews was in the same last days that we're in. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. Who's the he? In this case, it's God. God has still spoken to us. He is still speaking to us. He doesn't stop speaking to us. He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Jesus is now the one speaking to us. Jesus is God. And that's what this whole revelation here is in Hebrews. Who is Jesus? He's speaking the voice of God. God has spoken in the times. Now it's Jesus that is speaking. And how does He speak? Who is Jesus? He has appointed the heir of all things. Well, what's an heir? Well, an heir is somebody who gets stuff when somebody dies, right? So someday I'm going to kill over and die. Whether I'll be an old, feeble man or I get hit by a bus on the way home, I don't know. But when I do, my kids are going to get all that I own, the vast wealth of all the stuff that I own. Let's say I've got a townhome, a few old cars, and a garage full of stuff. Have, have a good time with that, Adam. <laughs> and then you've got to divide it by all four of them, okay? They're not getting a lot. Okay, I am not the. They are not the heir of all things. They are the heir of Nelson's and his stuff. But even thinking, I was like, "Well, man, if I was just Bill Gates' child, then I'd get a lot of stuff." Well, yeah, he has a lot more money than I do. You know, he's called a billionaire. He has lots more money. My bank account's not that big. But think about compared to the whole world, how much does Bill Gates own? Of all the houses in the world, how many houses does Bill Gates own? Of all the cash in the world, how, what percentage of it is Bill Gates? It's still a very small amount. And he can lose it at any time. Well, well maybe if I was the, the prince, I was a prince, I was inherit a kingdom someday when my dad the king died. Well, then you're the heir of one kingdom in one land. No matter how big it is, it's still just one kingdom of this world. And it's still only a percentage of this world. 
It's not even as if it's the largest land mass, like say Russia, it's still a small percentage of the whole world. But Jesus says is the heir of all things, everywhere, every kingdom, every priest of the land, all the wealth of this world. Jesus is the heir. And not only of this world, because God is the creator of the universe, the cosmos. So Jesus is the heir of everything you can see in the night sky. Every one of those stars. And through some of our, our more recent um, discoveries, we were finding planets around some of those other stars. He's the heir of those too. But who else is Jesus? It says he's appointed an heir, and it says through him, he was also, he created the world. Jesus was a part of creation. He is the creator. We see the words of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Paul mentions Jesus as part of creation in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. John mentions this in John 1, 1 to 3 that Darren preached on a couple weeks ago. Three separate writers have put Jesus at the heart of creation. The John in the Gospel of John, Paul in the letter to Colossians, and in the letter to Philippians, and then here the writer of Hebrews. Put Jesus at the heart of creation. Jesus is divine. This is the one principle that point is pointed to in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus is divine. He's the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. And we continue on. This, this whole section is about Jesus Christ. Who is he? We see in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance. The sun is shining out there. You can see the radiance of the sun. Later on today, you'll see the radiance of the moon. But the radiance of the sun and the radiance of the moon are very different. The moon cannot create its own radiance. The moon is only a reflection of radiance. The sun creates its own radiance. We see in the Old Testament, Moses, after he spoke with God on the mountain, he came down and his skin was all aglow. It was shining because he was reflecting the radiance of God that he had spent time with. It was so much glowing, it was such a distraction, that he, he literally wore a veil. You know, generally the women wore a veil, but Moses wore a veil. Because his skin was glowing from the radiance of God. You see, if you want to find out, that's in Exodus chapter 34. But with God, he creates his own radiance. We see in Revelation that we don't, there is no sunshine in heaven because of the radiance of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 to 16, you see the radiance of Jesus Christ and described by John there. And the difference between Jesus and Moses. The writer of Hebrews describes that. Look at chapter th Hebrews chapter 3. Just flip over a page. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. <coughs> Verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much 
as much more glory as the builder of a house is more honor, has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We're boasting in Jesus. We're boasting in our hope of Jesus Christ and salvation. So Moses was a, what was um, um, a servant of God, but he worked as a servant. Jesus worked as the son. He had more honor and more glory because of who he was. Not because he did something to deserve it, but just by his nature of who he was. Verse 3 continues. We, said, we read, He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. Now this is where sometimes the New Testament gets confusing. They keep using the word he. They keep using pronouns. But they kind of, which he does, his, he and his, who are we pointing to? The exact imprint of his nature Okay, radiance of God, pointing back to God and Jesus, that Jesus is the imprint of God's nature. Jesus is, God is imprinted on Jesus because he's the same. We see that in Colossians 1. Jesus explained that in, first, in the Gospel of John. In John 14, um, John 14, 8, which is page 901 in your, in your pew Bible, Philip asked Jesus a question. He said, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and then it is enough for us. But Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus does nothing that the Father could not do. Jesus is an imprint. He upholds the universe by the words of his power upholds the universe by the words of his power. By his word. How powerful is your word? Is your word law in your house? Mm. The older my kids get, the less my word was law. <laughs> yeah, I don't listen so well anymore sometimes. But sometimes our, word, our words don't necessarily have a lot of power. But God's words has power. How powerful are God's words? Read Genesis chapter 1. And God said, and it was so. By the power of God's word, the universe was created. That is power. It doesn't use the same word for word here as the word for word back in, first, back in the Gospel of John, John 1.1. 1, 1. Is that confusing? <laughs> so back in John 1, it says Jesus, you know, God was the word. And it uses the, the Greek word as logos. Here, when it says word, they use a different Greek word, rima, R-H-E-M-A. 
is how we usually write it out. And it has a different meaning, a different connotation, a broader meaning. But it connotes power with the actual words. Because the word comes from God, the words themselves have power. God spoke creation in existence. God's words have power. Jesus spoke and creation listened. Jesus spoke, people were healed. Jesus spoke and the storm ceased. Jesus spoke and Lazarus was resurrected from the dead even though his body had already begun to decay. That's the power of creation. Jesus has the power of creation with him because Jesus is God. Making purification for sins. Jesus made us pure. He purified us from sins. In the Old Testament, when you read Exodus and Leviticus, you read in great detail how to do a sacrifice, how to be made clean, how to be cleansed from your sins. It goes, it goes into great detail there. But Jesus did that for us. He did that. We don't have to do all those rituals that they did at the tabernacle and in the temple. Jesus made us pure from our sins. We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to take one of our sheep and go to the temple. We didn't have to go through all the rituals that it has to, you have to go through. Jesus purified us from sins without our intervention. All you must do is repent and believe. Psalm 51 says, God, all he desires from us is a broken and an uncontrite heart. That's sometimes harder to do than bringing $1,000 to church. A broken and a contrite heart. You are a sinner unable to save yourself. Jesus is the only one who can save you. Turn to him today. But it says there, it said, after making purifications for your sins there in verse 3. What, what happened afterwards? What happened next? It says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The majesty, God the Father. Sat down at his right hand. The premium point of honor to sit on high in heaven. That after Jesus did this, he could sit down. When are you allowed to sit down? When your work is done, right? When your work is done, then you can go sit down. Why work still has to be done? You can't sit down. You got to get up and go to work. They weren't cubicle lights like we are now where we all go to work and sit down at our desk. <laughs> and so when the work was done, Jesus' work was done, he could sit down next to the Father. Because the work was done. It was complete. And then we get to verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. As you read the rest of the first chapter of Hebrews, he, exa he, he explains himself. And as you read through the, the, the rest of this, you if you have the Pew Bibles, you see there's a lot of white space, a lot of indents, because he is quoting the Old Testament over and over. Almost all the quotes are from somewhere in the Psalms. One of them is in 2 Samuel. The rest are all Psalms. So you look down in verse 7. It says, of the angels, he says, 
He makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So that's what his angels are. They're winds, they're flames of fire, they're servants. But in verse 8 and 9, he says, but of the Son. Okay, of the angels. He was quoting, was he, he was quoting Psalm 104 there. And then in verse 8 and 9, he quotes Psalm 46 or 45. He says, You are a throne, O God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your companions. In Psalms, it describes who Jesus is. Jesus is not just a servant. He's the king. He has the scepter of power. In verse 13, it says, And to which of his angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He doesn't say that to the angels. He said that to Jesus. And that's quotes out of Psalm 110. You go down to chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. He says, Now, it is not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. And the somewhere is Psalms chapter 8, Psalm 8. He says, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have, cra- and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. For a time, Jesus was lower than angels when he was on earth. But now, but now, he has put everything under subjection to Jesus because of who he is. He is higher than the angels. The angels are servants. They're not heirs. Jesus inherited his position. His position, it says there in verse 4. He inherited his position. He inherited it as a son. That's what it says in verse 5. For which of his angels did God ever say, You were my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In verse 5, the first time he quotes Psalm 2, and the second one is, is 2 Samuel 7, 14, where, Jesus, where God was given his covenant to King David for the first time. But they took that and they said, this applies to Jesus. So we read these four verses, and we see a picture of who Jesus is. You read the Gospels, and you get some of that, and you see bits and pieces. But here in Hebrews, the writer uh, condenses it and puts it all in one place for us, that we can read it. And you can see this. You see this here in Hebrews chapter 1, but also John chapter 1, which uh, Darren's been preaching on, is also another place where you see a list of who is Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 is another place. Philippians chapter 2 there's a verses there that also talk about who Jesus Christ is. And it condenses it. It puts it down in a synopsis. Who is Jesus? And Jesus inherited. He's superior because his name is superior. He inherited his name, and his name itself is superior. As parents, you know, we get to pick names for our, our, our children. Why? Because we're their creator, right, in a sense? We create them. We get to name them. Sometimes we rename them when they're on their bad days, right? <laughs> but but where, did, where did Jesus receive his name? 
he received his name from God because he is God. Who gets to rename a thing? Well, if you're the creator, you get to rename a thing. Because we name our kids. If you have an invention, you get to name your invention. If you're an artist, you might get to name your piece of art. If you find something nobody else has found, you might get to name that. But as the creator of a thing, you might rename it because it changes meaning to you. You know, we, we name our kids, but then as they grow up, we give them nicknames to fit their character. Sometimes they're good nicknames and sometimes not. Depends on which day it is, right? Because, but you can do that because you're the parent. When you become a child of God, your name changes. Now, your physical name, your name on your birth certificate doesn't change. But your name has a new meaning. The character and integrity behind your name changes. When your name is mentioned to others, what they think of you has changed. Now that you're a child of God. You are a new creature. You are a new creation by God. You have a new master. In the Old Testament, we see that when somebody got a new master, their name changed. When Joseph came to power in the book of Genesis, in the Old Testament, Pharaoh gave him a new name. When Daniel was taken to Babylon and worked for the king of Babylon, he received a new name because that was the authority that the king had. He could give you a new identity. You have a new identity with Jesus Christ. Everything inside you changes. You detest your sin nature and you seek to change it. You desire the holy things of God instead of the evil things of this world. The name of Jesus changes you. The power of God's word changes you. You begin a new age within your life. The old age of your sinful life has ended. You have begun a new age of living for Jesus Christ. As a Christian, are you continuing to change for Christ? Even if you've been a Christian for many years, are you continuing to change for Christ? As a sinner, do you desire to begin your change today, that first time? All you need to do is turn to Christ. But you know what? We need to turn to Christ that first time if you've never done it. But those of us who are Christ, we need to keep turning to Christ. Because the sin never completely leaves. We might kind of conquer one sin, but then God says, okay, now here's the next one you need to work on. It's like, but God, what? why do I have to work on that one now? I've been a Christian for 30 years. Why didn't you work on that one 30 years ago? I guess I wasn't ready. I guess I got some other ones I had to work on first. Keep turning to Christ. Don't quit turning to Christ. The big idea today, focus on Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not on your own position, not on your own title, but on the name of Jesus. We've talked about who Jesus is. Let me read this scripture one more time as we close. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things 
through whom he has also created the world. He is the radiance of God, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand in the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. So now next time you read this, you can worship God as you read it, as you read it slowly, phrase by phrase. Meditate on it. When you're thinking about everything else that's happening in the world, pull this up. Read this instead because you can't fix tomorrow. Read this. Meditate on who Jesus Christ is and how he has changed you so far and how he can, can keep changing you because you are a new creation. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a mighty and a precious Lord. Help us, Lord, as we serve you today. Help us as we come together to worship you. You are the Son of God. You are God. You have provided salvation for us because of who you are. Help us to turn to you as new creatures in Christ, Lord. Help us to turn to you the first time Help us turn to you for the hundredth time. You are the mighty God, and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.